I, I think we would all agree that we, would live, that we live in tough times, and we're in this series called Heroes. And so we're, we're just going through, the, we're going through the Bible, and we're just talking about some people that lived in the Bible, men and women, and we're taking their circumstances, some of their situations that they had with God, and we're applying them to our day and to our life. And so we're coming to a place to where we're going to look at a guy for the next six or seven weeks. And so those of you that have been with us through this series, you know, I mean, this is number 19. You may not remember that, but this is number 19 uh, in this series. And so pretty much through this whole series, we've just looked at an individual for a weekend, or when we looked at Moses' life, it was for a couple of weekends, but we've never looked at anybody's life in a, in a lot of weekends. And, but this individual that we're going to start and we're going to journey through his life starting today is a man that there's just a lot there for us. And I just could not figure out how to grab one thing out of his life and talk about that. And so his name's David. And so his story is, starts out, his story is found, 1 Samuel chapter 16. You have your Bibles, you have your electronic devices, you can, you, you can turn there. And uh, we're just going to look at David's life. And listen, we're going to look at his life over the next several weeks, in fact, as many weeks. And, and we're just going to end up, we're going to end this series looking at David's life. What we're going to look at today is, is when David found out and David realized God had a call on his life, when, um, when David understood that God had a plan and a purpose for his life, but we're also going to look at some other subjects of, of David's life. See, the Bible says this about David, and this is what was unique about David, and, and not really this was said about anybody else's life, but it was said about David's life, and it was said this, that the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. doesn't mean he was perfect. doesn't mean he was without sin. doesn't mean that he handled every situation the proper way in his family and, and in his relationships that were around him, but it does mean this that David pressed in hard to God. And David wanted to honor God with every area of his life. And that David lived this life understanding and knowing that God has more for him and God wants to, than, than just what happens in a, in, in a worship service. That God wants to use him in his church. That God wants to use him in his community, in his school, in the different settings where he finds him. So we're going to look at all kinds of subjects of, of David's life. I'm pretty excited about David's life. I mean, we're going to look at how, how to defeat giants in your life. How did David do that? How do we do that? How do we take care of giants in our life? Uh, what is, how, to, how to begin again after there's been failure? What, what does a biblical confession really look like? What does it mean to confess? Um, we're going to look at how to biblically confront someone. You know, when you've got to go talk to someone, how, how do you biblically confront someone so it's healing and not divisive? We're going to look at the other side of the coin, too. How do you handle it when someone confronts you? How do you receive that when someone confronts you? We're going to look at how to love a rebellious child. How to love that child when that child is ripping your heart out. So that's, that's where we're journeying in the next several weeks. Now today, we're going to look at this one subject. We're going to look at this one thing that is found in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And it's this issue of, of when David found out, when David learned that God had meaning and purpose, a plan for his life, it was more than, than just his church. It, it, it was in the community. It was all those places. And so the fact is, that's the first principle. If you want to live a life of, of, of meaning, if you want to live a life of significance, if you don't want to waste your life, because it is possible even as a believer to waste your life. If you don't want to waste your life, then the first thing you and I got to understand, God has a plan for your life. 
God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. That your life has great meaning. And oh, and God has a plan and a purpose for your life, not just in this church service, not just in what we do for an hour on the weekend, but God has a plan for your, your life to, for the church and for the community. Every set. And see, when you understand that, when you get that, your life carries on a totally different meaning. Your, your profession looks different to you. Your home looks different to you. The community that you live in looks different to you because you understand that God has a purpose and meaning for your life. There's one man I promised you last week that I'd show you a clip of Duck Dynasty, right? And so, uh, so we're going to show you that clip. It's not a clip of Duck Dynasty. Listen, if you're, not watching, if you're not watching Duck Dynasty, then you may be out of the will of God. I mean, it's just, it is just one of those shows. I mean, you may look at it as a reality TV show. Guess what? Us Texans, that's a documentary. That is not. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? I mean, it's a documentary. And because that stuff really happens. Pastor Chad lived in that area. He could tell you that stuff actually, people are really like that. And so Willie Robertson is like the CEO of Duck Dynasty. And he understands this issue that your life is more than what you do. Serving God and following God is more than what happens in a church service. It's what happens with your entire life. That to follow him, God wants everything out of your life. And he wants you to understand that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. So Willie Robertson was, was uh, given a testimony speaking at, at Harding University. It's a Christian school uh, where he graduated from. They invited him back, and he gave his testimony. His testimony is about 15 minutes. We're going to show you about three and a half minutes of that testimony. So watch these side screens. Like I said, I've done a lot of things. Um... Just this week, we said, you know, Access Hollywood, the suit. Next week, I'm doing CMT's Artist of the Year Award Show. Um, you know, a lot of famous people, done a lot of cool things. The thing that separates me from the guys I know is knowing this. The famous people I know um, that have so much money is just stupid. Tell you what they want to know from me. It's not money, it's not TV, it's what I gathered over my life from this. Let me tell you, this I know. Won't put me in heaven of what I know. It's that you've got to live it, especially in front of them. Cool thing I did one time, I was baptized a guy who will be in the Hall of Fame, very famous guy. So much money, it just got silly how much money this guy's got. And God put me in this house, and we were sitting up late one night, and I didn't say anything to him. He just, we hung out. He said, how do I be, how do I be a Christian? He said, I've seen Christians, and honestly, I don't, I don't really like any of them. I don't like the way it comes across. He said, now what you're doing, I can, I could do that. This is the order of it, actually. And I sat down, and I said, well, let's just start right here. And I ran in, first guy I've ever studied with, by the way, this is for you. You need to know that answer, like Bert said earlier. You need to be prepared to have that answer. Mostly what I do is I just listen. I don't stick at your face, I just listen. When I hear problems, I show solutions. And I listen to this guy. I, went, I took him to Galatians 5 and read through the Acts of the Simple Nature. I said, uh, does any of those hit you? And he went, all of them. And I never had anybody say all of them. I said, do you need, uh, do you know what the gospel is? No clue. And I went, 
heaven and hear the thunder of the Lord. Maybe it's camp when you were 12. Nope. Nothing. This guy was zero empty. He had nothing. He had no knowledge. I mean, more money than Yogi Bears, very famous, and he had nothing. He was empty. He had no hope. He had no joy. He had money and he had fame and they were miserable. Some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life are those people. Went to his hot tub that night. He just built a pool and a hot tub. Nobody had ever been in it and I baptized him into the Lord that night. Planted the seed. God put me there at the time. Um, and I challenge you to do that. That's a cool thing I'm going to back and think, man, that's what, that's what I want to do. Is always have that answer for folks. Life is short. Life is temporary. Root yourself here. Do not leave this experience at Harding without knowing when you lay in bed at night where you're going. And then don't leave here without knowing how to tell somebody else that. Okay, so, so he got it. He understood it. David understood that. Samuel understood that. Samuel is a guy. Samuel was this guy. He's like a pastor. He's a priest. He was like a pastor, but he was also the chief justice of Israel. So Samuel got it. Samuel understood that, that God wants to use him in every aspect of his life. David understood that. When David became king, when David was a politician, he didn't check his faith at the door. David understood that God was calling him to live out his faith in every area of his life. So we'll just unpack this together, this story, as we walk along. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, and you start seeing the story just unfold. God is asking Samuel to replace Saul. Now this is very, very emotional to Samuel. Samuel was the one that anointed Saul. Samuel was the one that placed Saul in this position. Samuel was the one that, that had invested a lot of time and a lot of t uh, effort into Saul and developing him. And so you start seeing that, that Saul was one of these impressive people. So verse 1, so the Lord says to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? So, so Samuel's taking this hard. Samuel doesn't want to replace Saul. He, Samuel has a relationship with Saul. They're close. He says, since I've rejected him from being king over, 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 over Israel. And so one of the things that we've got to understand this, Samuel got it, uh, David got it, and we need to get this. We need to understand this. God desires to use you in every area of your life. Now listen, there's some things going on in our culture and that are making it difficult for some believers feel like that, you know what, I can no longer live out my faith in public. Evangel evangelical Christian, Christians aren't invited to the public square. I've got to check my faith at the door of my business, of my school, of the government, whatever, because it's, it's offensive. And so what's happening is, is some believers are shrinking back because they're not aware. They don't understand that, guess what, God wants to use you. God puts you in positions, and God puts you in places for a reason. And God wants to use you in every area of your life. And I know this is becoming more and more difficult in our country, right? We know that. And we know that. fact is, the wall is beginning to break down between separation of church and state. And let me just tell you this, when the wall totally breaks down, it is the church that will suffer because of government intrusion. There is an assault right now in our country on freedom of religion. And so when you start listening to some politicians talk and you start listening to some, some government leaders talk or you listen to people talk, they are no longer talking that the Constitution protects you from freedom of religion. They're starting to use terms like it protects you from freedom of worship. And that may seem subtle. And that scene may seem small. But I'm telling you what, that is so dangerous. 
See, the Constitution protects us from freedom of religion, which by the definition of our Constitution, by the definition of letters that were written by founding fathers, freedom of religion is this, the freedom to practice my faith, to practice what I believe in every area, every area. The reason you have some leaders, the reason you have some, some government officials that are beginning to shift and beginning to talk about, well, no, it's just freedom of worship. You know why? Because what they're saying is this, freedom of worship, the Constitution only protects you freedom of worship, which is this, what goes on for an hour in a church service. Your only protection now, what they're trying to say, is it only protects you for what goes on in an hour in a in a church service. It's no longer, no longer freedom to practice what you believe in every area of your life. It's only freedom what goes on in a, in a church service or this time, and it only protects you what happens in church. It only protects you what happens in a synagogue. It only protects you what happens at mass. And, and so here's the danger of that. If I cannot live out my faith in business, if I cannot live out my faith in government, if I cannot live out my faith in community, at school or at home, then my religion is a worthless ritual. It's meaningless. It has like no power. It has like no meaning. That when we worship together, and I mean, man, that song, The Great I Am. And we could just, we could just hear you guys sing, and I was standing over there and listening. I mean, it's like it, it, when like the... I'm sorry, I went back there, but... It's just, isn't it something powerful? When you can hear people worship him with abandonment and passion. But the question is not only can you worship him in here, but can you worship him outside of here? Can you worship him in your job, and in your community? Can you live out your faith? The, word, the, the issue is, is not that you're filled with the Holy Spirit in here. We want you to be right, but we don't want you to check the Holy Spirit at the door. We want you to learn to worship Him. And listen, we live in a time and we, listen in a, we live in a period where people are trying to tell you that it's no longer good and it's no longer healthy and it's no longer popular to live out your faith in all settings. fact is, I have been invited you know, I get invited to, to pray invocations for some situations and some things. And, and you know what? Some people will look at me and tell me, well, you know what? We really want you to pray here, but I want you to use Jesus' name. And I'm like, well, why'd you call me? After what he saved me out of, I cannot help but speak of his name. And I'm telling you, and I know this is the part of the sermon and all the services where people get really tense because we're not... You know, because some people, they get really nervous about this talk about freedom of religion. But listen, if we cannot talk about it in church, where can we talk about it? See, the danger is this. When they push that agenda and the intrusion into the church, and they say it's only freedom of worship, then you know what that means? That means if a church has a school no longer protected. Only what goes on in that hour of worship service. So now they can tell you who to hire, who to not to hire. What type of person to hire, what, not, what person not to hire, there's discrimination. When they tell you that it's only freedom of worship, then when a church has a medical clinic, a health clinic, a, a free clinic, you realize that's no longer protected? 
And they can tell you how to. Listen, let me just tell you this in case you don't know. We've been doing, the church has been doing health care longer than this government has existed. We started health care. You study missionary movements. Every country, just telling you, every country, hospitals were started in every country. You know by who? Us, the church. When it's only freedom of worship, they can tell you as a business owner, you can no longer live out your religious values. What you do for an hour is just, it's just a ritual. It has no meaning. And the government can come in and tell you to violate your conscience, to violate your beliefs. And if you don't do it, they will fine you, they will sue you, and they will talk about you. See, if the government told a Jewish deli that you, cannot, that you have to serve ham sandwiches, I'm standing with the Jewish deli. Because when they tell them that, to violate their religion, to violate their conscience, then they can tell Christian business owners. I'm telling you, lots is at stake. And you've got to understand this. When you hear people talk, it is not, it is not subtle. It may be subtle, but, it, is, but it, it has great ramifications. And it is dangerous because I believe what the Bible teaches, that God has a plan for my life. And because of my faith, it is more than what I do for an hour on the weekend. Listen, your faith. I'm just telling you, if your faith is not more than what you do on the weekend, if, it, if your faith doesn't, doesn't affect your dating life, if your faith doesn't affect your, your marriage, if your faith doesn't affect your relationships, if your faith doesn't affect your business, then what you do for this hour is just a, it's just a religious r- ritual. The power of faith is when it moves you to live it out. And so God wanted, wanted Samuel to replace Saul And so he asked him, because Samuel's having a hard time with this. He says, how long would you just mourn for Saul since I have rejected him king over Israel? So so God's rebuked Saul. I mean, and Saul has charisma, and Saul has a lot of of just gifts and a lot of talents. The fact is, the Bible says that, that no one was his equal. That Saul had all these gifts, and he was just impressive. But but Saul wasn't a man after God's own, own heart. And see, the problem with Saul is the power had corrupted him. And he became ruthless, and he was a ruthless king. And, and Samuel was disappointed because he invested a lot of time, but God had a new man for him, and just, we'll just move on in the verse. And so, so, so he tells him, so fill your horn with oil and go, and, and I send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, uh, for I have promised uh, for myself a king among his sons. So in, in, in Jesse's home, the next king is going to come out of that home. So God tells him. And so Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. So isn't it true sometimes God asks us to do some things that are uncomfortable for us? And he's asking, he's asking Samuel to do something that's very uncomfortable for him. You see, Saul got wind. Saul knew that, that there was a replacement coming, that God was going to replace him. So Saul became very ruthless. Saul became very paranoid. And so Samuel now is going to travel, and he's, he's not only a priest, but he's a chief justice of Israel. So Saul has his itinerary. Saul knows his, his travel schedule. And so now Samuel's worried. Saul's going to find out. Not only that, Samuel had to travel through Saul's hometown. 
And so now he's worried. He's, he's like, I'm uncomfortable with what if Saul finds out? And so, so God tells him, and so the Lord said. So he's not asking him to lie. He's asking him, Saul, uh, Samuel, just, just be discreet. You're going, there to, you're going there. You don't have to tell him you're going to anoint a king, but you can tell him, which is true, that you're going to, you're gonna, uh, there's a worship service. So, so, um, and so he says, and so the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to, to sacrifice to the Lord. And so he says, take a heifer with you and say that I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 3, and so, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what, to, what, what you should do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. And Samuel do, do what the Lord commanded, did what the Lord commanded. In Bethlehem, the elders of the city came to meet him trembling. Now, this is really interesting. Watch this. So, so the, the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peacefully? See, under Saul's leadership, the, the country was unrest. This is just for free. <laughs> you know how you know? You know one of the biblical signs that a country is un, uh, in unrest, that are stressed, that are burdened. Do you know how to know, one of the reasons how to know biblically when a country is not in a good place? When every time a government official shows up or speaks, they have fear. When a country believes that the government above me does not have my best interest at heart, and we are not headed in a good place, the country, Proverbs talks about this, this obviously talks about this, that whenever a politician, whenever a government official makes a decision, makes a ruling, gets involved, where the country believes that will not end well for me. This is the state they're in. Verse 5, and so he said, okay, so I'll come peacefully. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, so he did what he told him. He says, consecrate yourselves. In other words, prepare for this worship service, prepare for this exercise, uh, for this sacrifice. So what that meant was is there was a washing of hands, there was a washing of clothes. They put on a, they put on a, a different uh, outer garments and all of this other stuff. And so what they were doing, whenever you see in the Old Testament, consecrate yourself, that means to prepare to meet with the Lord. Listen, let me tell you something. You should consecrate yourself before you come to church every, before every service. And that's something that's done maybe mentally, something that's done spiritually. In other words, this, you should come to church expecting God to show up and speak to you. That's what this means. This means just, just to prepare yourself. God's going to speak to you. And so consecrate, and see, consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to, the, to, to the, the sacrifice. And so Samuel knew it. Samuel knew someone in Jesse's family he was going to anoint. Verse 6, so when they came, he looked at Eliab and, and thought, watch this, and surely... The Lord's anointed is before him. And so in other words, what he's saying is Eliab's the guy. Okay? So now this is the reason that we're deceived a lot of times in life. And why is that? This is the reason. Because we look at externals. See, the Bible says that God looks at the heart. If he had only looked at the externals, he would not have removed Saul. And a lot of times in life, the reason that we're deceived, the reason that we buy into something that someone can believe different really beliefs than we are, is because we only look at the externals. That's why today you hear a lot of talk and that charisma is more important than what? Charisma is more important than, than character. Appearance is more important than integrity. The way a person delivers himself, the way a person delivers a speech, the way a person presents himself is way more important. But the scripture says that's when we become deceived. And so what's happening is Samuel shows up and, and he says Eliab and he looks at him and he's the oldest. You see, whenever they would anoint a king, it was generally, it was usually, this is an exception, it was generally the oldest. And so he sees him, and he's impressed with him, and he thinks, this has to be the guy because 
We judge what? Sometimes by human standards, we judge by the externals. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on, okay, so do not look on his appearance. I'm telling you. You have to look at the character of somebody. You have to look at the character, that what they do after they make the statement. And so he says, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. So, so there it is. We do look at the outward appearance. Hopefully, the more that we mature in Christ, the less we look at appearance and the more we look at an individual's heart. But the Lord, he said, the Lord looks on, on the heart. Verse 9, 8. Then Jesse called Anabab uh, uh, and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And just, then Jesse made Shema uh, pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. So, so now Jesse's running the kids through, his sons through, from the oldest down. He's working his way down. And so he says, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to, to, to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And can you imagine everybody's like confused at this point because he's... He's run all these kids by, and Jesse's like, none of the, 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 this isn't the one. And, but God's choice was David, and David understood that his faith was way more than a worship service. His faith was way more than what he did for an hour. His faith was a part of every area of his life. And, and can I just tell you this? Your occupation matters greatly to God. Your work matters greatly to God. God has a purpose and God has a plan for your life and God has placed you into some situations, into some circumstances for a reason and what you do for a living matters greatly to him. It, it's, it's through your work that you, that you serve people. It's your, through your work and through your occupation that it's, you're able to maybe meet the needs of people. It's through your work, it's through your profession that you're able to earn a living so that you can give back out of your resources to the church and to him to further his kingdom. It is through your occupation, it's through your work, where you meet some people that are very far away from God, just wondering what a Christ follower looks like. And we've got to understand that God has a purpose, God has a plan for your life, and those, those intersections that you have during the day with people, that God has you there for a purpose and for a reason. The second thing is this, is we've got to understand God has a purpose and a plan for our life. But the second thing is this, is that we have to participate in his plan. We have to come to the place where we actually participate in his plan. Now, now for David, David's out tending sheep. Listen, David, David, David's dad didn't even, well, we don't know for sure, but it just seems like David's dad didn't even believe in him. David's dad didn't even invite him to the interview process. I mean, for David, David's out tending sheep. I mean, for David, this is just like any other day. I mean, can I just tell you this? God's assignment for you can come when you least expect it. That's why it's so important just to walk with him and just be obedient to him and just follow him and learn and grow and press into him because God's assignment for you can come, listen, when you least expect it. David, for David, it's just like any other day. It's just another day at the office. It's just another day tending sheep. And all of a sudden there was this this turn in his life, and he realized that God had like this assignment for him. In seminary, they, they, we, we went through a class, and 
We took those defining moments in life and, and every one of them just a wonderful exercise. And so we put those, those moments where God spoke into our life or where we had an assignment or whatever, and we put them on post-it notes and we listed them all out. And then we arranged them, and it was just so amazing to look back over your life. But I just think back over my life and maybe some of from that exercise and think of the moments that, man, some assignments, some things of God came into my life when I least expected it. I went to church expecting to hear from God, but I had no clue what was about ready to happen. I remember in 1982 when I walked in church one, one, uh, one time and I saw my wife, uh, not, not at the time, uh, uh, Karen, for the very first time. And you know what? I've told you. We've talked about our testimony. I can still tell you exactly where she was standing. I can tell you how her hair was, her earrings. I can tell you exactly what she was wearing. And, and, and then you know what? What immediately came through my mind is i got to get to know her in Jesus' name. Uh, <laughs> I mean... It's when I focused on external. So uh, anyway, it was, but anyway, we'll, we'll move on before I get in trouble. But, but and I thought, you know what, I got I to meet her. And so I went and I met her. And, and so I, I invited her out for dinner. And, and so I had no clue. Listen, I had no clue that I'd met my wife that night. No clue. And by her saying yes to me, she had no clue that one day she'd be a pastor's wife. She had no clue what she was getting into, Right? And I remember right after that, we were married in November of 83, and, and, and summer camp came, and, and our first vacation. We both took time off from work, and, and vacation came, and we went to a youth camp. I was a boys' counselor, and she was a girls' counselor, and we went to youth camp. It was 1983. The camp pastor, I had very little contact with him, and, and I'd been struggling with this call to ministry for a couple of years. He walks up to me and says, Charlie, I just want you to know I've observed you. I've watched what's happened with you. And, and I'm telling you, God's hands on, hand is on you, and God wants you into ministry, and God's gonna, God is calling you into ministry. Have you ever struggled with that? He confirmed something in my heart that I'd been struggling with for two years. I struggled with that call and didn't want to do it, and we don't even have time for that story. 19, 1994 seemed like just any other evening. Karen and I are, are, are finishing up dinner. We're cleaning up. The kids are in bed. We get a call from our pastor, Dr. Kurt Dodd. He says, Cause, could my wife and I come by and stop, you know, come by and, and talk with you? Karen looked at me and said, what'd you do? And said, I don't know. <laughs> it could have been a joke, I told her. I don't know. And they show up, and around our dinner table, he says, God has laid it on our heart to plant a church in Pueblo, Colorado. If you ever struggle with a call to ministry, we would like for you to go with us. Like any other day, planted the church, 1999. Kirk calls me into his office and says, God's calling me to another church at, in, in Merritt Island, Florida. I think you should be the next senior pastor here, just like any other day. In 2000, we weren't even looking for this building. We knew we were in rented facilities. We knew we needed a place to meet and all that other stuff. And all of a sudden, this opportunity came. And let me tell you something. When you follow God, when you're obedient, you do not have to force yourself. You do not have to be in the right time at the right place. God will see to it that you're there. You don't have to play politics. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to work hard at trying to know the right person and network with this person and network with that person. I'm telling you, there's great freedom in following him because when you follow him, when you're obedient... You don't have to force yourself to be in the right place at the right time. Guess what? When you follow him, God will make sure you're in the right place at the right time. And for David, it was just like a normal day for him. 
And so then Jesse, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And so, so like dad's shocked. Dad's like, well, it's not one of them. And so he's shocked. Can you imagine what his brothers are thinking? And, and so you know what this says to me? Even though those around you don't believe in you, God does. And Jesse didn't even believe in David enough to bring him in for the interview. And so, so he goes on in verse 11, and he, so he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold. Now watch, this is kind of a derogatory thing. It's kind of a, a slam. It's kind of hard to see in English, but, but let me just tell you, in the Hebrew, you can see it. And he says, But behold, he is tending sheep. He's just a shepherd. I mean, we, we give him the grunt work. No significance. David's a teenager at this time. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So you, all of a sudden, Samuel was a person of urgency. And we're not resting, we're not stopping, we, we are pacing until this kid gets in here. And so he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy and, and beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint, for, for this is he. And so can you just imagine what's going through dad's mind? Because they know, there's brothers. Can you imagine what his brothers, David, are you serious? Okay, so last principle, and it's so important for us. Guess what? God uses ordinary people. Aren't you glad? I know I am. I promise you I am. I mean, when you look at David's life, you don't read these great reports that he, was, that he had stronger charisma than Saul, or he was more impressive than Saul, or he was larger than Saul. The uh, fact is, you don't read any of that. But what you do read is, is what made him powerful. He was, God, he was a man after God's heart. It was his heart. It was his passion. It was who he was. He understood that God had a plan and a purpose for his life. He understood, I'm going to participate in that plan regardless of what it is. And when I participate in his plan, God will see to it that I'm in the right place at the right time. I don't have to stress with all that stuff and networking and all that other stuff. Amen. you just see this verse, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and, 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 and so, so he went. And so here's the interesting thing about David's life. It just kind of shows his character. This didn't go to his head. You know, you know what David did the next day? The same thing he was doing the day before. He went back to tending sheep. I mean, he knew he was going to be king. He didn't go hunt Saul down and say, guess what? God has rebuked you. The job is mine. Get out of the corner office. He got it. He understood it's about obedience. Fact is, you find that David tended sheep for another 20 years. You're like, 20 years? That was like wasted. No, it wasn't wasted. In that 20 years, God prepared him for the position that he had. There were some things in David's character that had to go. There's some things that God began to strip away. There's some things that happened to prepare David to fight giants and to deal with these issues and stand strong. There's some things that had to take place so David understood the importance of just pressing into God. And so I'm telling you, when God calls you to do something, just be faithful in where he's called you. Tend sheep until he opens the doors for you. Because when you are walking with him, listen, when you're walking with him, you don't have to fight to be in the right place at the right time. God will see to it that you're there. Fact is, they had to pull David away from tending sheep. He wasn't in the right place at the right time, right? He wasn't in the room. God made sure he was. And so verse, verse 19, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David your son who is with the sheep. And and Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent by him 
um, David, his son Saul. So David was humble and he was like believable. And David was authentic. You just when you're around when you're around David, you just knew he was real. And he was faithful. David may have been insignificant in his family, but he was not insignificant in the family of God. And God uses ordinary people with ordinary gifts to do extraordinary things when they will just press into him and just follow him. And here's what Paul said about us as New Testament believers in, in 1 Corinthians 1.26. He said, for consider your calling. Listen, this day consider your calling. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble by birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being, and this is the reason why, why he calls ordinary people, so no human being might boast in the presence of, the God, of God. They understand what it means to worship him. Listen, and, and when we moved away from, from, from Houston, Texas, we were part of a, just a really great church that was just like exploding. And, and, and the reason that it was exploding was because of the youth ministry. See, the youth ministry was led by a guy by the name of Carl Toth, and Carl was, was like one of those ordinary guys. In fact, is, even though Carl Toth was a youth minister, he was like the most uncool person in our church. I mean, Carl Toth wore, wore white, um, white tennis shoes, you know, out-of-date out of 501 Levi jeans everywhere he went, and a, and a big sweatshirt. It was just an old sweatshirt. But what made Carl Toth cool was not that he himself was too cool by, by the externals or by appearance or to even the students. What made him cool was is God's hand was on him, and he had this ability to carry the kids deep into God and to, for them just to press into them to where they understood that God expected them to stand up and to step out and to live their faith out in front of everybody to where all of a sudden the church started growing, not because of what so much was happening in the worship service, but because of, there was a revival going on. There were families actually moving closer to the church so they could get their kids in Carl's youth ministry. It was unbelievable what was going on. And there was a young man, he was a junior in high school, never forget him, his name was Matt Coleman. And so Matt Coleman took a friend one day from youth group, and, and uh, they decided to go to, you remember those dollar movies where you pay like a dollar for a movie and $35 for popcorn? Uh, <laughs> remember that deal? Okay. And so that was going on then, and so he took a buddy, and they went to see a movie uh, called Home Alone. And so they got there late. Uh, it was crowded. They had to sit down on the front row. They're down on the front row. The movie starts. The movie was a few minutes in. The power goes out, and the movie's like, whoa, lights go down. And then all of a sudden, emergency lighting comes on. And then people in Texas were like throwing popcorn and screaming and yelling because people in Texas believe that, you know what, that encouraged management to get the thing fixed. And so, so like they're throwing popcorn, they're yelling and screaming. And so, but, but, but Matt had been feeling this nudge that he's supposed to take a stand. He's supposed to step out and do something. He didn't know if he was supposed to witness someone. What? And so he's struggling with that while the power's down. This whole deal's going on. And all of a sudden, the power cranks up, and the movie goes, takes off. And, but, but Matt couldn't get rid of that feeling. And so, so Carl had taught those kids that just obey any nudge God gives you. And just call it good. And sometimes God calls us to do some uncomfortable things. And so, so Matt began thinking about that. And so he says, Lord, prayed this silent prayer. Lord, if you give me the opportunity again, 
uh, if you want me to take a stand for you, I'm willing. I'll just do it. And so, but the power I have to go out, if this whole deal happens again, I'm your man, I'm your guy. A few minutes later, power goes out. Movie goes, war, you know, and emergency lighting comes on. People in Texas do what they normally do, start throwing popcorn. They're like yelling and screaming. So Matt, being on the front row, stands up, turns around, and screams, May I have your attention, please? Well, they thought he was a manager or someone, someone giving an announcement. And so everybody looked, and he says, My name is Matt Coleman. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you will turn from your sins and turn to him, you will never leave home alone again. <laughs> We're like they started clapping. And I mean, he sat down, he's like shaking. And a few minutes later, the movie just cranks up and the lights go down. The movie comes on. And Matt didn't even get to watch the movie that day. He sat on the front row, I'll seat. And people continually throughout the movie would file down, adults and kids. And they would sit down beside him in the aisle. And they'd ask him about his faith in Christ. They'd ask him what it means to be a believer. See, your testimony is not that you go to a great church. And that you'll meet a lot of friends here. That if you come to our church, you'll meet a lot of friends. That's not... And you know what? As your pastor, I'm proud that you guys say those things. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm ecstatic. But here's your testimony. I was once dead. And now I'm alive. See, that has power. I was once lost. And I've been found. There was a period in my life I had no peace. I had guilt. I had no peace from my past and things that I've done. And I met Jesus Christ. And I've been totally and completely forgiven see the byproduct of that is a great church the byproduct of that is relationships the byproduct of that is all this other stuff and I don't know where God will send you this next week and I don't know where he may send you and where you may go but I can tell you this he will nudge you to introduce Jesus into the conversation as a solution. He desires and he wants to do something significant in your life. But you have to be willing to participate in his plan. And I do believe the church will rise. But who is the church? We are. And there are people that are saying that darkness is winning. Really? You ever walked in a dark room and flipped on a light? You realize light always trumps darkness every time. That's, the why, that's why we're the light of the world. The issue is not can you be the light of the world in this place. Are you willing to be out of the, the light of the world when you step out of this place? 